It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast, and we are right on schedule. Wes Mitchell, Chris Clark, Pearson Fowler, and we are, in some ways, exactly where we would have been this time last year or this time any other year, and not physically because y'all are still at home and I'm still in the studio and we're still practicing social distancing as we continue to bring you another Carolina podcast during quarantine or end of quarantine or whatever, but we're still social distancing. But what I mean by we are right on schedule is that last Friday, so since we last spoke on this podcast, uh, we have found out and it has been announced that the University of South Carolina will bring start to bring its student-athletes back on campus starting June 1st. And for the football team specifically, we'll be starting voluntary workouts on June 8th. There was a lot of uh, a lot of noise. There were a lot of rumblings. This wasn't this didn't catch anybody by surprise. It sort of seemed like it was trending in this direction uh, earlier in the week. I think uh, last Wednesday, in fact, probably just after we podcasted, the NCAA said, yeah, you know, y'all can do it. Individual schools, make your own decisions at your own discretion. And, of course, it seemed like the SEC was, again, headed in that direction. And for South Carolina, it is official. And despite all of this, guys, despite everything that we've been through, from purely the football perspective, uh, you know, Wes, other than missing 10 spring practices in the case of South Carolina, everything else about the football kind of cycle and season from here on out could end up actually looking kind of normal. Yeah, that's uh, that's the hope and and that's the wish. Um, obviously, you know there there's going to be a little bit of a I would say adjustment period as these guys get back, uh, you know, get back in the in the weight room and and probably you know there's probably always a little bit of that when you get back for summer workouts. But um, I, I you know for the guys who have maybe been taking a little time off, I, I would hate to be in the weight room for a couple of weeks there because it's going to be tough, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I think as far as the way things are scheduled out right now, uh, that's the plan. That's the hope is, is that everything is is right on pace. And and this, you know, when we talked, I guess it's been a month or two ago, eight eight weeks was kind of the like the cutoff, which would have put you, um, I guess, mid July as far as the amount of time needed to get ready for an actual season. This is obviously well ahead of that pace. Like you said, they'll get started on on June 8th, and, and really, I, I think, ha- have a great plan to come back. I, I think it's a very comprehensive plan. Uh, the protocols that are in place are, um, you know, somewhat, I would say somewhat over the top, but I say that in a positive way. I, I think they they almost had to be in that you, you have to try to attack this thing from every angle, and it, it sounds like the protocols that they have in place to come back very much do that, and I uh, – I made the case before, and now that I've seen all the documentation about what they're going to do, I 100% believe it, that if you are a college football player coming back to be at South Carolina, you may be the safest people in Columbia as it as the as far as COVID-19 goes because of all the things put in place mm-hmm. that just an everyday person doesn't really have the advantage of, of having there to protect them. Right, well, that, that's kind of the, the funny side of this is once people started to sort of read through the regulations and understand and parse out exactly what it meant and sort of think about it in a real like practical application way not just sort of abstractly what does it mean if we bring back college students and college athletes to college campuses are we putting them in danger and I think it was President Caslin in fact that mentioned something about college campuses having a I don't remember it's like the what are the, it's like our quotient I don't know some something that determines how how quickly a virus or, or something can spread. The R not. R not. Yeah, the R not. Um, basically, saying the R not on a college campus is similar to a cruise, and you're like, wow. So those are the two dirtiest places on earth, like right after the sewer. Um, just in terms of spreading, it was like a seven, and like New York City is like one point five or something like that. But anyway, so when people were talking about it abstractly, it's like, wow, this is a terrible idea. But again, you get into the minutia and you start to dig into what the plan is specifically, and you're like, oh, wait, this actually does make a lot of sense, and not only is this not going to be a bad idea, this is probably going to be preferred. Uh, Chris, 
can you walk us through for those of you that you know haven't seen or, or maybe didn't go over the whole thing initially? Like I said, this happened on Friday, I guess Friday morning, Friday afternoon, somewhere around there. Uh, Chris, can you go over the exact protocol and what the South Carolina players will be going through uh, from the time they get on campus through the remainder of whatever this summer program looks like? Yeah, so, I mean, schools, to back up just for a second, I mean, schools had had already really started to put plans into place in terms of how they're going to let, you know, the players work out. You know, you know what, what would it be? They had plans for, hey, if we get back June 1st, here's what we're going to do. If we get back June 15th, here's what we're going to do, et cetera. But basically, you know, in terms of the actual guidelines of what they're going to do, you know, South Carolina, you know, put out a release with what, what they're going to have players do. And, and really, it, you know, they've made a point to say, look, this is ex- exceeds what the CDC, you know, has, has recommended. And obviously, when, you, when you're talking about a sport like football, that's probably important to do. So the, the first aspect of it is just testing. I mean, every student or every student athlete, rather, is going to get, you know, a COVID-19 test and an antibody test, you know, to, to check for prior exposure you know, before they're allowed, uh, before they're allowed to resume voluntary workouts or practice activities. And, you know, they have to have a negative test, obviously, or they'll be able to at least tell, hey, this is where you stand. You have to be negative, obviously, to, to be able to participate. Um, if they're positive, they, you know, send them away and, uh, you know, isolate them and everything. So, you know, th- that's one aspect of it. Another is, you know, every, you know, in, upon entering the facility, they're going to take temperatures, uh, they're going to, you know, disinfect things like keys, cell phones, you know, that are, you know, really dirty objects and things like that, you know, that, that have a lot of, would be able to harbor virus. They're going to clean those things. They're asking the players to, from my understanding, y'all could correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like they're asking players and anybody around the team to wear masks in public places, you know, even away from the team. Mm-hmm. And they're going to work them out in clusters. You know, that's another thing. And something we've heard across college football. I don't know exactly how South Carolina is going to arrange their clusters. You know, you could do it, say, by, you know, roommates. So, you know, if you've got four guys to a room, for example, you know, maybe you put those guys in a cluster with a couple other rooms. And that way, if you if you have a positive test somewhere, you know, you're not – you don't have 105 guys in the weight room, which they don't really do that anyway. <laughs> you know, uh, they tend to break them up into groups a little bit more. Paul Jackson, you know, has his structure and system, I think will actually possibly be, you know, a better match for how they're having to do that because um, he does give a little bit more individual attention than some, you know, he has sort of a higher ratio, if you will, of how he likes to sort of, you know, touch every player that he possibly can in terms of, you know, giving them instruction. Um, So those are some of the things, you know, that, that they're asking players to do. You know, for me, I, I think the biggest question. I'm going off. I'm going a little bit above and beyond what you even asked me to to talk about, but just wanted to mention this. You know, I had a doctor tell me the other day um, that, from what they're seeing, 35 percent of people are asymptomatic so far, from what they know. Now, that's based on available data. Somebody's going to come along and say, "Well, actually, Chris." You know, we don't we don't know how many people have been positive, et cetera. That's true. This is based on projections of the data they have. Thirty five percent of people are asymptomatic. So one of the I guess you could call it a criticism people have pointed out is said, well, you know, what about you're testing the players when they come on campus, but what about regular testing? And that's something that um, you know, hasn't been announced by any school that I've seen, hasn't been announced by South Carolina. For instance, they're gonna test the players when they first come on campus. Will they test them? Again, um, you know, they're certainly going to test guys if they show symptoms, and that's my understanding from what I've heard is that symptomatic individuals will be quickly tested. But just in terms of regular testing, like weekly, for example, they haven't announced that. What I think could end up happening is later when we get closer to the actual games, I have a hard time imagining they're going to trot out teams playing against each other out there without testing you know sometime right before the game but that's sort of getting ahead of ourselves a little bit I I think that may work itself out and the other thing to consider is you know testing there's a cost with that and and these schools are already you know that's one reason they are having to come back I mean there there is an element to this 
the financial implications that we've discussed are so great that part of this is look, we sort of got to come back to get to get the players. And Wes always talks about sort of that that push pull, that give and take. And this is one of those things. Is it under perfect conditions? No, because there's a there's a virus that's still out there. Um, but if you're going to come back, you have to let the players prepare. All right, so there's a lot there to unpack. Like just as you were talking, I wrote down four follow-up questions, and I didn't even write this last one down because it was the, the last thing that you said. So I, I want to stick with that. You know, obviously the protocol, the regular testing. Do you know internally how much of a concern that is? I mean, obviously no one within the football program at the University of South Carolina wants the players to get COVID-19. But in some ways, you know, based on again, based on available information, based on what we know, it would be it would be bad. It would be inconvenient. But for most of these players, uh, I guess with the exception of anyone that has a you know a, an underlying condition, uh, there was a player that South Carolina had a couple years ago that was diabetic. I can't remember off the top of my head who that was. So there are a lot of like you know healthy great athletes that do have some underlying conditions, and obviously they want to avoid it. But it seems like there's a protocol in place that's like okay, you know, we will kind of isolate this person. We will continue on. We expect this person to have a full recovery, uh, you know, the timetable of, you know, whether it's a couple weeks or a month or whatever. So obviously they don't want anyone to get it. But in some ways, it seems like the PR hit would be worse than, you know, the actual reality of, of somebody getting sick for two, three, four weeks, whatever it is within the football program. So I guess long winded way of basically saying testing when you get there sort of. I don't know. It, it provides you with, uh, you know, the it, it, it lets you say, okay, you know, we did it. This person doesn't have it. Like, we're good. We're doing the right thing. We're, you know, following protocol. But then regular tests become expensive, um, you know, tough because of availability. And in, in some ways, like, you would kind of have to test players every single day because just because they leave football practice doesn't mean that, you know, they're not going out to get something to eat. And even if they're following protocol and even if they go, you know, pick up some takeout Chinese fruit from Teapot and they wear a mask and they wear a glove – like there's still a chance that something could happen, and unless you're, you know, factoring in every possible place they could go, every possible person they could come in contact with as just a human being that exists in the world, aren't you gonna have to test players every day? And if that's the case, I don't know if if it's even possible for South Carolina to do that. So how do you do that yeah. with any regularity, or do you just kind of bag that, or, or like you say, maybe like just before games? Well, and, and I think as we get closer to the season, you know, I think right now they're, they're sort of focusing on what are we going to do for training? Because right now you're just confined to your own team. You know, you're not you're not out there playing other teams. And once that element is introduced, you got to think about that more. So, I, you know, again, I, it's a projection. I have a hard time believing there won't be, you know, Friday or Saturday testing or, or something of that nature. I mean, now can you test – say you got a noon game, can you test – Say you're on the road. Can you go test 70 guys and staffers plus staffers, you know, right before the game? I I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but at some point it seems like they'll need to do that. But just for the purposes of, you know, guys who are on campus and training, yeah, obviously for a ton of reasons, and you hit on them, not, and not to sound crass about it, but you do have to think of the of the PR aspect about it. That that's you know secondary or the third or fourth thing you think about. Number one, you think about players' safety, you know, the health. Uh, because you do, you, you did mention, and Wes, I, I can't remember, God, there was somebody who was diabetic on the team. I, I cannot come up with it right now. Um, of who that well, was. I mean, uh, um, God. I think there's been multiple guys, actually. I don't know why but, I think he was uh, a defensive back. Does that help? There was, no, now, now, Taven Jackson is one you're thinking about who had a, a different condition, but there was somebody on the team. And, and the, I mean, Elliot, Elliot sure Fry was diabetic. Elliot Fry oh, was okay. the one. That was it. I knew it was – I thought it was a kicker <laughs> or, a, or a backup quarterback for some reason. But, yeah, so you do have – and on the team, you know, any college football team is going to have some guys with some underlying conditions. For example – um, you know, and I have no idea. I'm not a doctor, and I've heard no data on it, so I won't even try. But, you know, sickle cell is one that you see some in college football. It's just something that people um, – that you see. You see diabetes. You see – I mean, there are all sorts of issues. We've seen guys in college football that have had to give up the game because of, like, heart issues. You know, they just go and find something, and it's maybe not dangerous, but it's something that, you know, you, you want to be careful with. So – you do see underlying issues. So 
look, you got to keep that data in mind. So that's why I say player safety is number one. Yes, the data that we do know of is that most people who are young and in good health and, and who are athletes are probably going to be okay, but that's not something you're just coy about and you say, ah, whatever, just let them get it. <laughs> I mean, you, th- there's no way you do that. So that's part of it. Number two is, look, you, you lose. If you if you get a guy who's positive, then you got to go isolate him, and he may have given it to other members of the team. So then they're missing two weeks of training or – you know, if you project it out of the season, maybe they're missing part of the season, and that can really be disastrous. And then third is, yeah, the PR thing, and, and that's what we're seeing right now. I mean, we, not to sound crass again, but the PR aspect is one reason why some people are hammering college football or the SEC for saying, well, you're letting these guys back and you're only testing them once, and then you're just throwing them out there and that's it, you know? And so, again, that's why you, that's why I brought it up. It is something you think about. So, they're testing initially. Will they do more? I'm not sure. I mean, that that it was not released in the plans that, hey, we're going to do, you know, weekly or, or monthly or whatever testing. And that it is sort of a slippery slope because, look, you could, you could test negative on Tuesday and then go get it Tuesday night and be positive on Wednesday. So even if you came out and said, look, we're going to test everybody weekly, I mean, is that even enough? It's, it's, it's better than not weekly. Right. Well, and, I mean, really like, like if you're, so Carolina's, you know, going to Lexington, Kentucky this year. So they'll probably leave, what, Friday morning, Friday afternoon. So if you want to test the players Thursday afternoon to say, okay, well, you know, we're obviously not going to take anybody that has this thing. So you test them Thursday afternoon. Nobody has it. You get there Friday afternoon and you find one person that has it. That means that, you know, they got it somewhere in transit and that the entire team was probably exposed to it. And you get to Lexington, Kentucky, and, you know, 36 people on the team or whatever have it. So, uh, you know, all of a sudden you either got to forfeit that game, you got to turn around and come back, you're you're just playing with all the walk-ons that you brought or, you know, whatever. Like, there there are a lot of questions that arise, and I think this is why people were worried about this happening in the first place because when you start to go down this rabbit hole, it's like logistically, you know, how can you actually – make this as feasible as as you say it is but but when you think about it like that like they're not it's not like you're putting them at any more risk than anybody else that's in society the only problem is like they have like deadlines and they have like games they need to play and it's a little bit different like for one of the three of us if we have a meeting that we have to skip because we're sick as opposed to a game just because they're you know frankly greater financial implications because college football is a huge business and if this happens all across the country i mean the the, the ramifications are i mean hard to predict at this point but are significant well and the, the biggest issue with football players west i think west is dead on and that the football players are going to have you know it's just the reality i mean look the football players they eat better food than i don't know pearson you eat a lot of high quality food and like make your own food and stuff I, right now i've been eating the stuff a lot of stuff out of the freezer so especially the, the past like month or, or a few months you know the football players when they're on campus the access to food that they have is awesome. You know, the access to the weights and, and the training and the conditioning, the, that is also awesome. So the plans and the safety and all that, you know, is going to be really good. You know, their access to testing and health care and all those types of things, it's going to be good. The issue for them is you're playing a sport that's football, so you're all up in everybody's face. You're exerting yourself, so you're breathing heavy. I mean, there's it's close quarters, you know, and and there's a lot of hand to hand and hand to face and face to face and all sorts of contact like that, and so that's what creates the biggest issues with you know a virus that's passed like this, and that's that's what's going to be hard, and that's why I think when you get closer to you know actual practice mm-hmm. and actual games, you know, I think when they come out closer to the season, there's going to be a new set of protocols that say hey, keep continue what mm-hmm. you're doing. Plus, we're going to do this, but right. that, that's just a guess on my part. But that's just what I think. Yeah. Okay. Well, then that's a that's yeah. a good I mean, transition into. Oh, sorry, you go ahead, Wes. Yeah, I was going to say I, I think uh, that that one hundred percent will happen. I mean, not that they they've said that, but I, I see no. There's no way you do all the different things that they've put into place now, and then don't have some further protocols for. I mean, they're literally telling the guys not to hang out with people that aren't on the team. No, actually, they're saying you can't hang out with people who aren't in your cluster within the team. So now, you know, you're you're putting them in a, 
on a field with another opponent and saying, hey, go play man coverage. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think that now a, a lot of this is going to depend on, you know, it's, it's May 27th. This is going to depend on the where things are just from a broader standpoint once we get to September 5th. But I, I think there absolutely will be testing. Um, I, I, I doubt there's going to be daily testing. I don't know if that's even feasible. Um, but wouldn't you need to do that? Because these players are going and they're interacting yeah. and they're in other places in the world. Like if, if you are, yeah. if that's really, you know, how, how we're treating this thing, that's what you need to do. And I, I agree with you that it's not realistic, but if you're going to test them like every week, don't you need to test them every day? No, I mean, I, I think you have to, I think you have to have a plan in place. I mean, that that's not, I mean, we don't live in a perfect world. Like there is no perfect answer. You, you literally, there there aren't enough tests available in the world to test to say hey let's let's pull away tests from people who actually may need them more and test every single college football player in America every single day like that that just doesn't work I, I think you have you have to test every every player before now here here's the other thing what what's the turnaround on the test how how quickly at this point are we going to have results you can't it, it, it has to, you know, it has to be an instantaneous result test if you're going to test the guy right before you put him on the field. Otherwise, it's worthless. So the tests that they're able to get access to, are they 24-hour tests? Are they instant tests? How accurate are instant tests? Mm-hmm. You know, all, all these are, are other aspects I think are at play. I think at the very least, you have to test every single player um, before a game in as close of a window as you can, right? So if, if you have a 24-hour test and you have a game tomorrow, you have to test them to where you have results, obviously, but before that before that game. And then I, I think, honestly, if, if anybody tests positive, you probably have to, have to forfeit. I, I won't say forfeit. You probably have to move that game. Like, I think between now and then, there are going to be – agreements put into place what happens if a guy tests positive right before a game um and i think every school has to sort of agree this is how or every conference has to agree this is what we're going to do when that happens then i think after the game you have to you know a couple of days later you have to test everybody again but if, if you test everybody on both teams and everybody is negative and then you quarantine everybody because you're on the road all together anyway then i think you can make it happen without this thing going crazy because you've now got, assuming the tests are accurate, you've got a negative for every single player on both teams, and then they haven't interacted with anybody else in the time in between the test and the game. Hmm. And right. then if you if you turn around and on Tuesday somebody's positive, then, I mean, does that mean – Every nobody can play in the game Saturday. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that. That's a question that has to be. That's a question that I think has to be agreed on ahead of time, like before the year even starts. I think we all have to say, "Hey, if somebody's positive within the team, this is what happens." Well, all this is leading me to one bigger question, but let's keep let's keep. Uh, my roommate used to say, "You know, how do you how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time?" We'll keep going one bite at a time, and then I'll ask you. Both the big question, but Wes, uh, Chris mentioned sort of the clusters, and again, as we continue to kind of dive and pick apart the minutia of this, what exactly does that look like, and how do you train for a football season in clusters of six people? Well, I, I think uh, first of all, you train for a you train to get ready for a football season, as in you train to get ready for practice. You know, you can do that in groups of one. Um, you know, I think that that part's not an issue. The the clusters right now are just as far as conditioning, weightlifting, you know, running, all this stuff, getting your body back in shape, getting your body back into position to where you're ready for football. I, I think, you know, th- all this is going to be done in stages, I think. And there are obviously the protocols in place right now. They still don't know, and Ray Tanner was asked this on Friday, when are people going to be able to actually have an on-field practice with a football they don't know i think before you have as much as went into everybody 
getting everybody back to campus. I think you'll have to have further conversations, further protocols, and further things in place in order to say, all right, here's the process for actually getting on the field for a football because, or with a football because I, I think to practice, you again are going to have to probably do another round of, of testing with, uh, you know, the entire team. Now, I, I will say, again, this is another element of it. The interesting thing is that they're also going to do antibody testing for every single player as well, which I think will be an interesting sort of subset of the population if every single college football player coming back is getting tested for antibodies as well, that's actually going to statistically be a big enough group where I think it will give us a decent idea of the percentage of people that maybe have had this thing and had no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and again, like the the training element of it, the, the weightlifting part of it makes sense to me, and I, I guess I I guess that was my misunderstanding. I, I It makes sense that the protocol is going to change as they get into practice, but I, I thought that included sort of you know, whatever kind of team-led practice or team-led, like player-led team practices they were going to be having, you know, quarterbacks getting together with wide receivers and things like that. Um, it, it all kind of, to me, comes back to a question of, of regulation, but we'll get to that. Um, the, the cluster thing just seems like a, uh, kind of like, kind of like a slippery slope because if you are in a position where you need to be training, at, you know, like weightlifting and, and conditioning and things like that in these small groups, like how are you going to get back to the point where, you can do 11 on 11, have 22 guys out there, plus a bunch of guys standing around. Like you can only social distance so much. And if you can do that at some point, like why can't you do that now? Is it just a matter of, you know, gathering information? And what if you gather the information and and the end result is that, Hey, like it would probably make sense for us not to do that. Are we just looking at seven on seven this fall instead of 11 on 11 so that we can socially distance? And uh, I just like that part of it seems, I mean, it, it, it seems like it's a protocol they needed to have in place it's probably good that they're doing it, but I just I don't know how it translates to the rest of the summer. Well, and I think uh, that that's the question. And there's a part of this where, um, you know, they are still gathering information. Again, you you have to let the players come back at some point. And some people say, well, it's going to be too early. Look, they're having a football season. Unless something happens over the next couple months, to where it. it it becomes impossible, and and I don't even know what that scenario would look like. They're going to have a season. Now, some people are arguing they shouldn't. They should wait until you know next spring, or even some people have said even next year. Whatever, so it's not happening, and we don't even have to get into whether or not you know individuals agree with that, don't agree with it. This is the track that it's on. Okay, but you just look at it. They're moving towards the season, so. You know what it what it's going to look like is a, is a valid question, and there is an aspect of all of this where they're putting protocols into place and everything, and that's a great thing. They have to do that, but there's also a sort of a little bit of I don't know if this is a good analogy, but it's, it's sort of like crossing your fingers and saying, "Here we go." We're you know we're just diving in, and we really don't know what's going to happen. And I've gotten you know, just talking to a lot of people across college football and, you know, high schools dealing with some of these same issues, of course, you know, they're just sort of saying, here, here's our plan. We're going to put the best plan that we possibly can into place. Like Wes said, it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. So here we go, and we're going to go for it. Now, maybe in a few weeks after this starts, a couple months, you know, maybe we have a better idea. They'll at least have some level of data. You know, they'll they'll at least be able to say, hey, We've been training for two weeks, three weeks. We've lost zero players to it. We've 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 lost this many players to it. You know, whatever. They're going to have some level of data that won't be perfect either. You know, but they'll have something. And so, even before they reopen practice, there have been these plans submitted about, you know, how are you going to get to, how are you going to reopen? And so, you know, again, we and we've talked about some of these, like a six-week plan or an eight-week plan of. Hey, you get to work out as a team for, you know, like in a six-week plan. Hey, you get to work out as a team for two weeks. Then you're going to move to like an OTA thing, which Pearson, like you said, maybe not seven-on-seven, seven, but a little bit like more NFL style where it's a little bit more loosey-goosey, where it's no pads, et cetera. And then maybe two weeks of like a training camp as opposed to, you know, what do you normally have, about a month or so, you know, spread out before the season. So, you know, things may be more abbreviated. It's definitely going to look different, we think. Um, but we really still 
don't quite know how that's going to be, and they'll be able to build that out a little bit more, an imperfect version, because everything's going to be imperfect, you know, as we get closer to the season. All right, well, Chris, uh, next follow-up question to uh, your earlier just sort of laying it all out. You mentioned isolating players if they are sick, and however often the testing is, when they find someone that is sick, it does seem like they have the protocol in place again to sort of continue to make sure that no one else on the team has contracted it and whoever has it to sort of isolate them. What exactly is the protocol for them? Is there a separate place where they're going to be able to I mean, are they just are they just recovering? Are they just going to like the infirmary or like whatever the on campus like doctor's office is? Do they go to the hospital? What do the rest of the players do? What's the timetable? They have to be symptom free for how long before they come back to practice? What happens when a player? What happens if a player for South Carolina gets COVID nineteen? Well, so they haven't released exact details about exactly where the person would go. That they would either. Basically, they'd either be sent home or somewhere on campus in isolation. Where that would be, we don't really know if they stay on campus. Obviously, if they're home, they go home. Um, For some guys, that's easier than others, right? I mean, so uh, it probably just depends. You know, if it's on campus, I'm not sure. But they'll do, you know, uh, they'll monitor that student athlete, you know, regularly, multiple times a day, they said. Um, They'll do contact tracing. You know, uh, if, if, if another roommate or a member of the the training cluster tests positive, you know those players will will quarantine themselves as well as well, and you have to be, you know, symptom free uh, for for a fourteen day quarantine period, you know, in order to return to training. So, uh, you know, my my question is, you know, when you do contact tracing, my assumption is, you know, do, do you test? Or it's not even an assumption; it's a question. Are you testing everybody they've been in contact with? I would think that let's say you're in a you know a cluster of six or you got a roommate or maybe that's about the same thing. Maybe that's how they structure it. If somebody tests positive, obviously you quarantine that person, but I would assume you contact trace and, and then test everybody shortly thereafter in order to figure out, okay, can these guys stay in training? Do they need to be isolated as well? So then you do you do go to a you know, a little bit more of an extensive training, but it's still sort of an as-needed type of thing. All right, next follow-up question. Wes, um, and this is really the big one. All of this sounds good on paper, should be executed. We should all just sit here and, and hope and think that South Carolina will do it. But realistically, this is going to be hard to enforce. Uh, obviously it's going to be, I guess, up to the football staff, up to the medical staff, the training staff, probably somebody at the university. But can this actually be followed? Or is this something that, again, we, we talked about PR, and maybe we're being – maybe I'm not, not we, because <laughs> you two aren't, and Gamecock Central's not, and nobody else other than me, Pearson, is being cynical. But, I mean, is this actually going to happen, or is this saying what needs to be said to get back on campus – and like, yeah, we'll try to do our best, and we'll wipe things down, and we'll you know wear masks sometimes. But once we get back on campus, like football is football, and football is already dangerous, and there's already contact. And again, like they're not exactly practicing yet. But I mean, for South Carolina and for everyone around the country, can this be followed? Doing football, making football things happen. Um, you know, I think it's a, a valid question, and I. I will say one interesting thing, you know, I think Chris and I have both heard is that um, at the head of South Carolina's program, Will Muschamp has taken things uh, very seriously. And that's not just a, uh, you know, media quote, you know, say what I have to say, say what I need to say, but just, um, you know, in in his personal life as well, that he's taken this thing very seriously and uh, has been very – I won't say involved as far as uh, the decisions, but has been very cautious about everything and has really, I think, just said, hey, this is a medical decision and we're going to do what the medical team says. I think because you have a training staff and a basically a team on campus dedicated to um, COVID-19 prevention, then yes, I think for, I will say for the most part, all of this can be followed. The part that I think is going to be very difficult has nothing to do with the university of South Carolina um, staff 
or the trainers or the medical staff, any of those folks, the part that's going to be very difficult is that you have 18 to 23-year-old kids, and they like to hang out with other 18 to 23-year-old mm-hmm. kids. That aren't just in their training pod. That aren't just in their training pod. That aren't just on the team. And um, they have girlfriends. They have uh, friends who are girls. You know, they 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 like to get out and hang out and spend time with other people and uh, enjoy the college life. So that part of getting that under control, I would say nearly impossible. Right. So and and me, so that, is, that, it, is it a matter biggest. of, like, if you're caught hanging out outside of your pod, do you get suspended? Do you get reprimanded? Do you just have to run more? Or is it like, hey, please don't do that? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know. We are in a We're in a new world right now. Chris, uh, you want to hop in, man? I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how you, I don't know how you handle that. Um, and you know, obviously they're they're saying go, you know, wear masks if you go outside. Is, is there a is there a punishment? Even if it's just you're running more sprints, I, I don't think anybody's going to get suspended. I don't think. But are are you having to are you are you running until you puke at workouts because you got caught? Um, at a party or something. I, I don't know. And and maybe U.S., maybe they've already decided that. Maybe they haven't. This, this is a brave new world we're in right now as far as how this stuff is actually going to work. Yeah, it's a great question, and, and I'll, I'll go ahead. And uh, not that I want to answer these types of questions with this so often, but I don't know is definitely an answer that we've had to say a lot, and, and I don't because I haven't heard, you know, how you handle that. I mean, um, shoot, uh, it's almost <laughs> a good argument could be made that, hey, I mean, if you tell a kid, look, man, y- y'all don't need to be going out to, you know, whatever, five points or this or, or doing this and that on the weekends anyway, and then they go do it, and then maybe, you know, you, you have a, a talking to with them or whatever you do. Um, now it's a little bit more magnified because, you know, you can not only is it going out or whatever, um, but it's, you know, potentially exposing yourself and, and your entire team and coaches. And so there's a there's an added element to it. And even without, you know, say going to a party, just going out and doing whatever, you know, something completely innocent. Just going to eat, yeah. Um, yeah, just going to eat or, or just going anywhere. I mean, it could hypothetically lead to that. So, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't. And I think people, again, I'll go back to this. There's a little bit of sort of just – just doing it and and there's going to have to be some figuring out as as you go. I have not heard internally any of South Carolina's plans about how they're going to handle that. I think up front, they certainly are going to stress the seriousness of, Hey, you know, there are many, many reasons to be extremely vigilant and extremely careful. Here's what they are. Here's what we want you to do. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you police or patrol, you know, a a team of a hundred people from 18 to 22 years old it's going to be difficult but i think you have to try to drive it in and i don't know any repercussions you know of those particular things and, and then you, you get into the other thing and this take a long time to talk about i mean really are you going to punish a kid for saying look i went and picked up something to eat or something i mean it's you know that, that's sort of tough so it, it's hard to tell and i really don't know right now well I, i'm going to go ahead well, and I, I, well go ahead west no, I, I was just gonna say I I think you have not not that um, not that this is all that matters. Obviously, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying this more from a standpoint of uh, we we've all been 18 and 22 year, years old. Um, we all know what it feels like to be that age. Most, if not, I, I won't say all, but I would say most of your college football players aren't sitting there waking up in the morning scared of the virus. You know, most most people, especially top athletes, who are bigger, faster, stronger than everyone around them, a, a lot of times feel in, invincible, frankly. I, I think what you have to hammer home is not just – you have to say all the safety stuff, obviously. I think you have to hammer home, hey, guys, if you don't do what needs to be done, you're not – going to be able to play college football in the fall. 
Like that's what's at stake. If everything just goes completely off the rails this summer, then and, and as Chris said, all indications are they're going to do everything they can to have college football. But mm-hmm. I, I think that's part of your message to the guys. Hey, if if the entire team gets this thing, even if everybody's completely fine and recovers and everything's all good, you're not going to get to do what you're here to do and what you love. Right. Um, I mean, football is life to these kids. So I know in the grand scheme it's you know just football, but I'm talking about from their mindset, I think that's what you have to sort of hone in on. And I, I think, you know, and I, I don't even know if, I mean, going going to pick up food, I, I think is is probably a, allowed with even within the um, confines of everything. I, I think it's more about going and, and spending time in places where you know where, where you can get this thing and, and sort of. I think that that's another part of the research that's become more and more clear. I think is it's more about time in contact with you know the the viruses where people are actually getting you know getting sick. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's. But anyway, we could go on and on about that for for a long time. But no, that, no, that's my... I think I think that's really interesting, and I'll I will preface my next point with a rebuttal because I, I think it's a classic case of with great power comes great responsibility, and these guys are, you know, mostly almost entirely at least you know eighty five of them on full scholarships to go to a university to play football. So I understand it's like oh, it, I I'm not. I'm not bringing up like the name image likeness thing for any reason other than to say I'm not making the exploitation argument that some people are making because they're getting value for this and they have a responsibility because it is a huge business and because they're being compensated, maybe not fairly, maybe not enough, although that's going to change soon as well, but they're being compensated to do something. So there is some, you know, responsibility to, to do what they can. But on the other hand, no one else on the university of South Carolina campus is going to be disallowed from doing some of the things that the you know the, the uh, like for example if you're a philosophy major at the University of South Carolina you're not going to come back and only be allowed to hang out with the people in your you know philosophy 300 class you know it, now again part of it is because like if if you're choosing to play football you're going to school for free and and part of that is but it's probably the same thing if you're a music major if you're going to South Carolina on a full music scholarship you're probably not only allowed to spend time with the rest of the tuba players you know yeah, that, that's true. Now, I think I think uh, you know they they've already said every single person that comes back uh, to campus in the fall is going to be tested as well. I, I think that you're going to be strongly encouraged uh, not to hang out with people that aren't USC students. Now, is that remotely enforceable? No. Um, is that with that with? I mean, how many thousands of people go to South Carolina now? I mean. It's, 30-something thousand, right? Um, is any of that enforceable? No, obviously not. So I think, uh, yeah, it's an interesting point. And I, that's, that's why I'm more I'm coming at it from a standpoint of not that they're required to play football, just more, hey, that's what they love to do. That's what they're here for. This is what these guys literally eat, sleep, um, think about football all day long, basically. And it's, it's such a big part of their lives. I'm sure they don't want to see that that part taken away. Right. Um, all right. Well, last thing on this, uh, Chris, have you spoken to any players or anyone close to any players to find out what people have been doing to stay in shape, if people are staying in shape, sort of what the mood is within the team? Yeah, we've spoken to some, you know, people close to them at times to figure it out, and, and we've heard different things. Look, they're they're doing the best they can with limited access, um, it's it's not even close to the same. But one of the biggest aspects is just nutrition. You know, you've got you've got nutrition, you've got rehab slash therapy. You know, so you've got all those things, and and maybe those are a little bit undervalued. A lot of people are just thinking about, okay, well, can a guy go get on the squat rack or whatever? I mean, that's important, obviously, but just the nutrition that these guys get is incredible. It's, it's personalized. It's quality. You know, so so all that plus the facilities and the in-person coaching, you know, and the guidance that you can get is huge. And so it's been limited. And some guys have been able to do more than others. Some guys, you know, have access one way or another to more things. And You know, the NCAA, you know, NCAA-wide, um, you know, they've been doing some studies during during all this. And 
they asked, you know, they polled players, and this wasn't just football players. I mean, this was, you know, student athletes in general. And, you know, just checking in on, hey, what, you know, what's your mental health? What's your, you know, how are you feeling? How are you communicating with people? And they did a lot of different aspects of that. And um, four in five athletes, their study found, said that, you know, whether it's local regulations and or lack of access to facilities were, were barriers to their training. So, I mean, that's four in five. Um, now, we don't know. I don't know if you polled the entire South Carolina football team. Would it be less than that? Would it be five out of five? Would it be one out of I don't know. But that just gives you an idea across athletics about what polled student athletes were saying. And, and so, and then a lot of them range, you know, they had different anxieties about things or, you know, they, they were upset about not being able to train or they, you know, all sorts of different stuff. So it's certainly, a, in short, it's certainly a barrier and it's not ideal, you know, and, and it's really, I think for a lot of these guys, it's going to be an uphill battle to get quickly back into shape. Now they'll be able to do it, you know, once they're back, these guys are really good athletes. They'll get back into shape, but it'll be a little bit tougher at the beginning and they'll have a a little bit of a tougher road to make up some ground there. Yeah, well, that's sort of what I was asking because Wes mentioned earlier, he's like, yeah, you know, it, that's it's going to be tough coming back for the guys that haven't necessarily had access to that. And I think anybody that's ever played a sport will remember probably with uh, with some level of trauma, like that first practice back a- after the off season, like whatever it is for that first week or even that first month sometimes always sucks, even if you're doing a full off season program. And I think that's sort of by design. Coaches just want to – you know, do what they can to make it hard for you in the early going. I'm just thinking about how much that's going to suck for a lot of these guys now. And I'm also curious, you know, just like kind of personally, just curiosity, like, Hey, what, what, you know, what can I do? What can I take from these guys? And also just because we saw a lot of this early in quarantine, mostly from professional athletes, at least that I remember on, on Twitter and on Instagram and things like that is seeing what kind of workouts people were doing. And it was, you know, like NFL players like squatting their children and doing things like that. I'll be curious, you know, once guys get back and, I don't know what kind of access we will have to them and when media will be allowed to, you know, go back and talk to players and talk to coaches and do those things in person. That may be a a long way away yet. But um, I'm just kind of curious what kind of stuff people have been doing. Have you gotten any indication, Wes? Have people been just, like, lifting milk jugs? Do do you know of anyone that's gone out and gotten a personal trainer so they haven't had to go to the gym but they can still get some of the training in? Like, do you know any of those kinds of behind-the-scenes things that have been going on within the team? Yeah, you know, I, from everything I've heard, it's just um, it completely varies from person to person because here's here's the problem. Lots of times, if if you were to go back home and you're a Division One athlete, um, in a normal time, you want to get in a workout. All you got to do is call up your old coach. Hey, can I get in the weight room? It's probably pretty easy for you to go get in your old weight room. You know, they high school coaches love having they're guys who have made it around their current guys, you know, uh, simple as that. Uh, the problem with this is that because of COVID, the high school gyms are closed. Your big box, you know, just for everybody else, gyms have been closed. So it really just depends on which guys have, have just had access by, uh, you know, either being in a situation where they know someone or they're wealthy enough to where their family has, you know, their a home gym, and it's just really varied. I think some of the guys, you know, you look at Marshawn Lloyd, he, he's got, he's had a private trainer slash coach um, for for most of his high school career. So he was able to, I think, go back and, and just continue doing the same things that he was doing anyway. Uh, I've heard stories of, of other guys maybe who, you know, know somebody who, who has a gym set up and have been able to go and, and sort of do, do their own thing. A lot of the, the defensive backs, I think, have been able to just get out and, and do more cardio type stuff, go find a field and, and just run some. But here's the thing there, unless you are the elite of the elite, as far as your mental uh, preparation and uh, a self starter, if you will, it is borderline impossible to go work out, run, do all the same things you do normally with the same intensity by yourself as it is with that coach yelling at you and watching everything you do. So my thing is probably, I mean, what if you break down a team, how, how many guys on the team are true just self-starters that have the mental capacity, not capacity, have the mental drive, I should say, 
to go and do everything that you would do with a coach right beside you. Mm. I mean, 10% or something, yeah. you know, I, I yeah, don't know what the number is. It's that'd not, be, that'd be it's high not probably. many. Yeah, yeah. So, because I mean, they're, um, they're normal people. How many of us have been doing that? Like, there's a handful. I, I feel like I've done very well to maintain, but I, you know, I certainly haven't continued what I felt like was a pretty good positive, like upward trajectory of my own physical health. I, I've done my best to plateau, and you know, probably a little bit less than that. I've probably, you know, lost a little bit of muscle, gained a little bit of fat. It, it's hard, and, and it's probably just as hard for them, even though, like, they're 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 gifted, but they also are, you know, just like us, and that they mean. probably also just want to sit on the couch. And eat potato chips and ice cream and watch movies during quarantine too. I, I saw this. Um, I think this was from Urban Meyer, um, and we, we won't get into all the pros and cons of the Urban Meyer approach to, to football. But this has always stuck with me. I think we talked about it on the podcast. I don't know, but ten, ten. You know, if you look at it, the structure of a team, ten percent of a team are guys that absolutely do everything in their power, go above and beyond, do more than they're asked, and really set the standard for what you want a team player and just a member of your team to be. That's the top 10%. The bottom 10% um, are the guys that everyone has to drag along, that that don't want to do what they're supposed to do, that are constantly having to be sort of re-motivated by their coaches and by their teammates. The other 80% is right there in the middle. They do what's asked of them. They probably don't do much more than it. They certainly don't do less than it. They just do what you're supposed to do when they're told to do it. So if you go by those metrics as far as how a team is made up, then you potentially have a large portion of the team that's probably been like trying, you know, yeah, I I went for a jog today. Or like you said, I, I, I squatted my dog, um, you know, I, I went for a run in the neighborhood. Does that maintain a little bit? Maybe. Is that the same as running sprints back and forth with Paul Jackson yelling at you the entire time? Absolutely not. Uh, and by the way, as a as a quick aside, since we're talking, I'm just like thinking back to all the times that I've had to run and how much harder it is, like you're saying, you know, in practice and in those formal settings than when you're doing it on your own. Um, did y'all see, like just this week, a group of scientists released a study that like being slightly bent over with your hands on your knees helps you catch your breath faster than standing up tall with your hands on your heads like every coach ever told you to do after you were running sprints. Did y'all see that? Oh, yeah, boy. No, I, I yeah. did. And do y'all feel arguing. completely lot of betrayed and enraged? Are, well, strength coaches are arguing about it. Some of them are saying, you know, we, we knew this, et cetera. There's good data on it. And then some of them are saying – I want to see the data because I don't believe it. And some of them are saying, even if that's the case, uh, it's just a mental thing. You know, you're, you're not put, my players aren't going to put their hands on their knees. <laughs> so there's a lot of different schools of thought on that. I can see that, you know, being part of it. And their reasoning always did make sense. It was like, hey, you know, you're keeping your, you know, you're keeping everything straight so it's easier. I mean, it's like when you, when you, pinch a hose or, or squeeze a hose you know you bend it in half and obviously the water doesn't come out it's like that makes sense but I, I also wasn't like sitting in a ball and I wasn't like you know squeezing or like squishing my upper body in half like it's still straight it's just straight and leaned over I don't know I just I felt uniquely betrayed by that and uh listening to to yeah. y'all talk about this and uh well not uniquely betrayed I, I probably felt like one of many that was betrayed but it I was think uh, we all felt betrayed it was really disappointing <laughs> we've been lied to <laughs> I wonder how many players uh, also saw that and are going to push back as soon as Paul Jackson starts to tell them that on June 1 or June 8. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I'm i with you. It always made sense. like Because the coach would say, stand, stand up and breathe. Stand up and breathe. It makes sense that you would get more airflow. But also, think about this. Why, why, why is it our natural predetermined – inclination mm. to go into that motion yes. like does, maybe our body knows like this is a way to catch a little extra rest like if you if you go for a long run and then or any type of long workout as soon as you sort of have a chance to relax that's the that's the position your body naturally goes to right right like you put your you, you know so maybe maybe our bodies have been like Pre, uh, like maybe that's just our instinct is on point there. Yeah, we should just trust biology and evolution. That's a really good point. And like, like most people don't 
I guess some people will sit down, but like sitting down and laying down still don't feel as good as just like standing kind of hunched over with your hands on your legs. That I hadn't thought about that, but that really yeah. is like the ideal position if you're tired. Yeah, so wow. I'm with you. What else do you think we were lied to? Or <laughs> lied, what else? What other lies were we fed our entire lives by people that we trusted? It's uh, that, That's what growing up is, just finding out all the different lies that grown-ups told you your entire life. Well, when I was a kid, they were talking about the food pyramid, uh, mm. which was like, hey, just eat bread all day. That's <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, wait a second. This is the opposite of what they're saying to do now. <laughs> oh, I know. Now, now, part of that is like evolving science, but I, I, I think back to that with just like such fond memories. It's like, wow, that's like that's the thing I need to eat the most. That's great. That's my favorite food. That's pizza. Or and that's, pasta. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. And now, now, well, now it's a plate, right? Is that what they're teaching in school? Plate? I honestly don't know. I no have idea. no idea. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why I thought I saw that. Hey, Chris, are, are there any, not that you're doing it maliciously, obviously, and, and I have had some experience with this because my girlfriend has a couple kids and, you know, I interact with them a lot because we've been quarantined together. So I've, you know, just told them random stuff just because I, I think it's funny as uh, as she has and I'm sure you do and as our parents did and maybe our coaches did as well. Uh, are there any particularly hilarious, not lies, but uh, Santa Claus type things that you've told your kids that they're going to like one day be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I ever believed that. Just in general pertaining to food. Um, uh, just in general, but as we talk about the myth of the food pyramid and standing up tall after running, like what have, what have you told your kids? Like if you don't flush the toilet, like a uh, goblin's going to eat you or something? No, we, we, you try to stay away from something like that um, because then then you're going to end up answering more questions about goblins and <laughs> then they're going to definitely be in the closet at night and you'll be in there five times. Mm-hmm. At 2 a.m., you know, showing that there's no, in fact, no goblin in there or a monster. And I've never wondered, I've always, I even asked them because they went through a little phase recently where, uh, and luckily they went out of it soon. One of mine was saying, I'm scared of the dark. Why? Well, there's a monster in there. I said, well, where did you, like every kid believes there's a monster in their room, but I don't know where it comes from. Is it just like built into the DNA now? I'm, I'm not really sure. Or do they hear it at school? But um, it's, it's no, probably some I of that, and also probably some of like if if the door is cracked and like the AC turns on and it like blows a coat that's hanging there, it kind of looks like a figure, you know. And I, then your imagination just sort of runs wild. That would that would be my guess. Probably my my, uh, my girlfriend's youngest is afraid of uh, specifically velociraptors. That's why she's afraid of the dark. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. that, that's an interesting. That's that's Jurassic interesting. Park. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, but, but there's no. To answer the question, I can't think of any, you know, uh, like big lies or anything. I mean, there, there are a lot of small things, you know, like when they were younger. Now they're too smart, but when they're younger and I want to play with that, it's like, no, it's asleep. It's like, well, it's an inanimate object. It can't even be asleep. But you just tell <laughs> yeah. them that and, then, you know, it sort of goes away. But mm-hmm. there's nothing there's nothing big right now. And they're getting they're getting really smart. And I'm going to be in a lot of trouble when they get like teenagers. Mm. Um, it's it's going to be really bad for me. So. We'll have to do like a whole parenting podcast now, Wes, and I can't contribute anything, but you you can just tell us like fun stories from parenting, Chris. Yeah, I'll just be that old guy. I mean, I, I was telling my wife that the other day, you know, we, we were talking about one thing and right, you know, our parents told us all these things and we would roll our eyes and now we like turn into our parents, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh, like yeah. We'd say all the recycled lines, the same things, but they're all true mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, so. That's crazy. It, it, that's a... I don't know, some insurance commercial, right? It's like we can't help you from becoming your parents, but we can help yeah, you, you that, know, save hilarious. money on whatever. Yeah, yeah that, and that's that, – yeah. it's so true, and it's it's kind of scary sometimes when I'm – again, just like being around my girlfriend's kids, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is why my parents said this. This is why they did this. This is why they felt this way. It's it's wild, and, and you can't explain that to them because you think back, and it's like our parents used to explain that to, to us, and it didn't help us understand or behave or – stop asking them, you know, whatever. It's just, it's a, it's, it's a Sisyphean task. Uh, just kind of a, a cycle that repeats itself, but it's a, uh, I don't know. It's kind of funny, but anyway, so we've all been lied to um, lean over. If you feel like leaning over while you're running, if you're a South Carolina football player and you're listening to this for some reason, don't let Paul Jackson tell you otherwise. Although it's probably a good idea to listen to him because if you don't, he'll probably just make you uh, run more and probably still won't let you uh, bend over. But, 
you can start doing all that. You can start arguing with Paul Jackson on June 8th when you come back to campus, which is great news. And, again, we started this by saying we're, we're pretty much back on schedule. And for South Carolina, again, it's going to be a little bit different. You missed some spring, but you're going to have – summer. Will Muschamp said at least eight weeks is sort of what he wanted, and right now South Carolina is looking at about 12, so by the time football season rolls around, I, I think we can expect, if, if this all goes according to plan, and if the entire team doesn't get COVID-19, and if something doesn't cause this entire operation to get shut down, that things will kind of be back on schedule. And uh, Wes and Chris, y'all have done great work on this, obviously following this, reading all the fine print, helping explain it to us, because uh, a lot of people, myself included, are, have a lot of questions, and I, I really didn't <laughs> We said, if we're going to pull back the curtain here a little bit, we said, you know, we'll, we'll probably spend, you know, 20-ish minutes talking about sort of the new protocol, getting back on campus and things like that, and we've basically done it for the entire podcast. We were planning on doing some tales from the trail here, but I guess we'll save that for next week because we will still have, um, you know, plenty of off-season-y kinds of weeks' worth of content to get to. So we'll save tales from the trail. Um, I appreciate that you all have had that ready for two weeks now, and I, I'm sorry, we will get to it because I know you're looking forward to it. Um, but before we get out of here, uh, Wes, Chris, whichever one one of you wants to go, because I don't know who has anything. Y'all said not a lot of specific recruiting news for South Carolina this week. Weirdly, like maybe the quietest week of like the last couple months on the recruiting front. Uh, but anything the Gamecock fans should be on the lookout for in the next week or so. Chris, I'll let you take it. Not particularly, Pearson. I mean, right now, uh, really a holding pattern for South Carolina. Right now, it's a lot of you know just general recruiting stuff. You know, no, no prospects that are really imminent in terms of deciding. There, there may be some guys in the next three or four weeks, you know, or a little bit longer that are ready. But for South Carolina, you know, they're in a unique position. I mean, we've seen, and I'm going to have a piece on this in the next few days on Gamecock Central that breaks down sort of some of this early commitment phenomenon that some schools are experiencing. Some of it's been a little bit overblown. Some of it certainly hasn't. And, uh, and how that could affect things, especially as it pertains to South Carolina. But for them, they're a little bit different right now for a lot of reasons. They got to get to the season and get some guys back on campus and win some football games. And I think that's the overarching thing for them, but, but nothing super new, just sort of on a micro level for South Carolina right now. All right. Very good. Well, we'll uh, be on the lookout for anything unexpected because I mean, y- y'all have been, y'all have known when things are coming, but there've also been plenty of unexpected things because it's, I guess it's hard to know, when we don't have the kind of access and the players aren't making visits and things like that. But I guess the official dead period, as y'all mentioned last week, has ex- been extended, what, through the end of June or July? Or there's moratorium me a minute on that. whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think it was pushed. It was originally to the end of May, and then I think it was pushed to the end of June. Right, okay. But... I think it's one. Of, I think it's one of those things where that doesn't mean that. Basically, it was pushed to then, and then we'll reevaluate once that gets closer. Yeah, Not yeah. like, hey, get get ready to recruit on July one. It's more like <laughs> it's probably going to be pushed again. Right. Well, and again, the calculus changes for a lot of these schools that have decided to come back because they're actually going to have football things to be doing. You know, Will Muschamp, while he's not going to, I guess, be there because he's not allowed to be there, there are going to be football things that he will be overseeing on his own campus, so that will probably change the approach. And the fact that not everyone is on the same page will probably end up being uh, an interesting subplot for this offseason for the schools that aren't back and and aren't allowed to come back on campus yet and aren't allowed to start their workouts. Maybe, you know, those football programs are going to stay a little bit closer to the trail and a little hotter on the trail of, of, of some of the recruits that they're pursuing and things like that, where, you know, SEC schools, for example, and several in the ACC and, and other places are, are going to be kind of turning their attention more towards football. So I, I, I don't – I mean, we can probably spend a lot more time talking about what that looks like uh, next week when we have a little bit more time and a little bit clearer picture as things start to get back to normal because I guess this time next week we will be into June and players will be starting to make their way back to campus. But uh, that – we, we don't often see that kind of divergence in the agendas of football teams around the country. It's normally you're recruiting at the same time, you're do, working on football at the same time, you're doing offseason at the same time, but people are on different schedules right now, and it will probably it will probably make for an eventful and peculiar remainder of the offseason, especially from the recruiting perspective, would be my guess. Yeah, yeah it will, I mean, but I think you're starting to see – um, I mean, Pac-12 just announced, I think that was yesterday, Tuesday, 
that their guys will be allowed to come back uh, or that workouts will be able to start back on June 15th. Uh, I think Clemson, I would guess the rest of the ACC is uh, coming back June 8th. Uh, don't know about Big Ten as a whole. Uh, I think I saw now I saw Ohio State is coming back June 8th. So I, I don't know if that y'all know if Big Ten is just leaving it up to all the individual schools and, and maybe they're a little all over the place or something. Yeah, that's um, my understanding right now. It's just sort of individual. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think for the most part, um, at some point in June, you're going to see most of the the major conferences have their uh, their schools back. Yeah, and we'll continue to kind of get news as people again start to make that decision individually. I guess the SEC schools are kind of on the same page, but as June one rolls around, we're probably going to start seeing people say, "All right, you know, we're going to come back June 15, and we'll get to the middle of June." And people say, "All right, end of June and beginning of July." And um, I mean, it's rapidly approaching. It is rapidly approaching uh, the football season, actual training camp, things like that. And uh, Gamecock Central is the best place to stay tuned to all of everything that's happening uh, with the football program, whether it's guys coming back on campus and talking about their time in quarantine, uh, little tidbits that we get from workouts, things like that, injury reports, just like updates on guys, uh, GamecockCentral.com, plus everything that is going to be going on with recruiting, even if uh, we're not necessarily expecting anything to come down the pipe right now. Um, it is an uncertain time, and, and lots of things can happen somewhat unexpectedly when it's not allowed to have contact with uh, with players and things like that. So uh, stay tuned to GamecockCentral.com. Be a subscriber. Right now you can subscribe for free and be a free member of Gamecock Central until August. You just have to use a special promo code, right, Wes? Yep, Gamecocks2020. Gamecocks2020. You can be a free member of Gamecock Central. You can participate in conversations on the Insiders Forum and all sorts of stuff on there. You know, it's sports, but there's a lot of other random things that have, you know, taken hold and, and been kind of like fun, interesting conversations as well on the Insiders Forum. And of course, read all the, uh, you know, subscriber only content from Colin and from Wes and from Chris and from everybody over there at Gamecock Central that does a great job. Um, and again, that's free up until August. And uh, this is free always. And all we ask is that you rate, review, and subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network because that really helps us. And um, I guess with that, We'll wrap up. Like seriously, that was that was great. That was I didn't realize that I was going to have that many questions. Hopefully, y'all listening, I, I answered most of your questions. If not, uh, you know, let us know. Leave us leave it uh, in a thread and a post. Get us on Twitter at Pearson Fowler at GC Chris Clark or at Wes Mitchell GC, and uh, we'll touch on it next next week. Be back with a little bit of tales from the trail and uh, Wes, maybe a mailbag next week. Can we uh, can we set that up? Yeah, we can do that. Cool. All right, very good. Well, thank you all so much for listening. For Wes, for Chris, I'm Pearson. We'll talk to you next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.